Um, hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Devin Holloman, and I'm a high school student here at Lake. Um, and I'm Kendall, and I work at Club 45. Our scripture reading today is from Romans 8, 28 through 39. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestines, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, we will be able to separate us from the love of God that is Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much, Devin and Kendall. Kendall, welcome home from college. Just to tell you, I love these two guys. To have you read the word to us is really moving for me. This is one of the great texts in the Bible. I could spend the whole month and many months on it, so we're not going to do that. So I just want to focus in on the one thing, the one thing I want you to get today, and here it is. The holy God, the creator of the entire universe, makes a personal commitment to you when you follow Jesus Christ as your Savior. What is that commitment? God commits himself to you in this way, that he promises to make everything in your life right, the way it's supposed to be, the way he intended it to be, or the way he puts it here. What he promises is, when he's done, you will be conformed to the image of Jesus himself. It's an amazing commitment, don't you think? Uh, we've been talking about this sort of thing for months here at Lake Avenue. Uh, we've been going through Romans 5 through 8, in case you're new with us here today. It's a series that I've been called, calling Made New. And, and today we come to the very end of this section, Romans uh, 8, um, uh, running all the way from verse 28 to verse 39. Twelve verses. I don't know if you were listening carefully as Devin and Kendall were reading for us that many, many followers of Jesus throughout the centuries have said are among the most moving and beautiful passages of all of God's word. Do you think so? They, they really tell us about this commitment that our perfect 
and holy God makes to imperfect and unholy people like us. Really, it's a commitment that once he starts something in you and me, when you give your life to him and he declares you right with him, he makes a commitment to keep working in you until the work that he started is actually completed. And I'll tell you, what God starts, he will finish. Now, I knew I wanted to talk to you about this commitment that God makes to us today, and I thought, it's kind of hard to talk about this because we human beings always make commitments. And yet we find it so hard to carry through with our commitments, even if our intention is good. We just don't always have the strength to do so. Have you noticed that? We make commitments every day. Uh, Every time I go online and see uh, advertisements there, they're making commitments to me, you know, buy this product, it's going to make your life better. I could have found hundreds of these. I found one that I really liked that I'm going to show it to you here. Can can you imagine this? (laughs) Look at that commitment. Less wrinkles. Look at those wrinkles on that right side. In only minutes. Oh, I'll tell you, if that really worked, well, we'd all look a whole lot better. I'm certain that, that I would. And it's not just the advertisements that make promises that they can't, you know, deliver. It's not just politicians either. Believe me. It's not just that. We all do that. And I thought back, just to personalize it for me, before I came here to Lake Avenue, you know, I was a university president in a Christian Uh, university, Uh, when parents would bring their students or caretakers would bring their students into the university, I would always meet with the the parents and I would give them these commitments. I'd say, this is a Christ-centered university. We're going to make a commitment not just to the intellectual formation and education of your son or daughter, but to the whole life. I mean, the Christ-centered education should touch our minds, it should change uh, uh, our, our relational Uh, parts of our lives, our spiritual lives, our physical lives. So I made a commitment, I'm telling you, we focused on this, all of our resources and energies to do that in the lives of our students. We really wanted to do it. We we intended to keep that, but it didn't always succeed. I'm just going to tell you that. Sometimes it's because the student didn't want that kind of whole life development to happen. But for all sorts of reasons... The commitments we make to one another as human beings in this world, we, we don't always keep them. So when I have a message that I call the commitment, and what I'm talking about is God's commitment to you and me, we have to think in a whole different way. Because I'm just telling you this, when God makes a commitment, he keeps it. What he actually starts in us, he will bring to completion in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so in, in Romans, just to get you to where he, he, he finishes with this commitment, let's just think about what Paul says throughout Romans. I'll give you kind of an overview of the whole book. Ro- Romans 1 through 3, Paul essentially says, we need some good news. Because for every human being, we're not all that God would have us to be. We, and his word is, fall short of the glory of God. Made in the image of God, every one of us falls short of what we should be. And he, at, at length, He tells us how that is true. You can read it through if you're just too encouraged someday. He he, he says, uh, male or female, old or young, Jew or Gentile, we have all fallen short of what God made us to be. And in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, he just sort of seals this thing and he says, there is no one fully righteous, no one right with God, no, not one. So it looks absolutely hopeless for us. But then you come to Romans chapter 3, verse 21. And I love this section. But it says, but now. 
But now, God has stepped in and he has found a way to declare you and me right and begin to make you and me right. He sent his one and only son. You can remember, read this great text. Runs from chapter three, verse 21 through the end of chapter four. He has sent his one and only son, the only one who ever lived a fully righteous life, Jesus. And he did it. And out of his love for us, he died in our place for our sins, for the wages of our sin is death. But he took that death that is the wages for our sins and asks us to place our faith in him. And when we place our faith in him, Romans chapter 4 declares that through faith in him, we are justified. That's his word, which means declared right with God. End of chapter 4. Then we come to this text that we've been looking at for many months that are here. That when we are justified, when we are in Christ, when you give your life to the Lord Jesus, you and I have, he opens it, peace with God. Isn't that a beautiful thing? He's given us peace with God. He's made us right with him. But he goes on to say, that's not all that I want to do. I want to actually begin a work in your life so that all those things that were messed up in your life are not just forgiven of the past, but I want you to be remade into what you long to be and what I have created you to be. And that's what Romans 5 through 8 is all about. He tells us the blessings of being in Christ in chapter 5. Then in chapter 6, he says, but I know that so many times we still think, well, I've got to do it myself. I've got to do it myself. And especially his own Jewish people. We've got the law. We've just got to keep that. That's all we need. You can't keep it, he says. And he says, you have to count yourself dead to that way of life and count yourself dead to sins for Christ has paid for it. Chapter 6, into chapter 7. The apostle just, Paul just admits, it's not just you, it's me too. The very things I want to do, I'm not doing. Those things I don't want to do, those are the very things I do. Is there any hope? Oh, wretched man that I am, he says. But then he remembers, Romans 1 through 4. Thanks be to God. He rescues me. He saves me. And it comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that Romans chapter 8, for us there is no condemnation when we're in Christ Jesus our Lord. How are we going to change? That's the question. Romans chapter 8 says, here's, here's the point. God gives to us his Holy Spirit who makes everything different. And within the community of his people, with the work of his Holy Spirit in our individual lives and within the church, he begins to actually change what we could never change on our own. Even though there are still trials, even though there are still temptations, God says, I want to use it all. I'm going to use all things to bring it together for that good for which I have created you. And that brings us to today's text where he makes a commitment that what I have promised you, I commit to actually accomplishing in you. So that brings us to this text. And the first thing I want you to see here is this commitment that, that God makes to us as his children and the way he talks about it in verses 28 to 30. Let me, let me just read it to you. Kendall and Devin read it so well, but... I want to read it too. We know this, that in all these things, and there he's talked about suffering and trials and blessings and everything, in all these things, God works for the good of those who love him, for the good of those who've been called according to his purpose. Talked about this last week, didn't I? But then four, and here Paul in much, many fewer words than I just used summarizes what he just said in Romans 1 through 8. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that his son Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. 
And those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. This is the commitment that God makes to you and me, that he's going to take us all the way from where we were before we knew Jesus. When we come to Jesus, he will declare us innocent before him, cleansing us of our sins. And now do a work until what he calls glorified. Now, I know, know these great verses that, that express that commitment of God to make you a person who actually glorifies him often have divided the church, and I think it's been because of misunderstanding, so you've got to be with me here. I want to walk through a couple of these ver verbs that he uses so that you can understand what he's getting at. The first one I want you to see is God foreknew. When we think about foreknowing something, we just think, well, I knew something, and obviously it happened. And it is that. God has always known everything. But Paul was a Jewish man. And when the uh, Jewish people talked about knowing something, it was more than just in your head. Uh, it was a word so often used for knowing for a personal relationship of love. It was even so frequently used for the sexual relationship between a man and a woman in marriage that you know a person in that way. See, when you start thinking about that, this, this word takes on a whole different meaning. It means that before you and I ever wanted to know God, before you and I ever had any longing to have a, a relationship with God, God took the initiative to love us and to enter into a relationship with him. The, the New Testament is, is filled with this. Uh, John would talk about in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he, do you know? first loved us. It's not that you and I say, how can I get God to love me? It is that God turns to us and says, no, I know you and I love you and I am the one who will take the initiative to reach down into your life so that I can know you as my child and you know me as, as, as your Abba, as he talked about. It, it's kind of like that, that one song uh, that we sing uh, I, uh, I'm no longer a slave to fear. Uh, in my mother's womb, you have chosen me. You remember singing this sometimes as a church? Love has called my name. That's what he's getting at here. What he's making sure is that you know that to come to know God, you don't have to earn his love for you. It, it's not your efforts. It starts with him. It is God's initiative. He knows you. He loves you. Then it moves on to that next phrase that... So many have been troubled by those that he foreknew and, and loved and, and wanted to enter into a relationship with, he predestined. But notice that it, it's not talking about longtime churchgoers, that God predestines some to be saved and some not to be saved. It's not talking about that. What are we predestined to? Look at your Bible. Those that he enters into a relationship to. So when you place your faith in Jesus, the one who loves you before you could ever know that he would know you. This is what he promised. I'm going to give you this destiny. You will be conformed to the image of my son, Jesus. See, that's what this word here is talking about. It is when you place your faith in Jesus, he promises you that he will complete this destiny in your life. You won't stay messed up. <laughs> he will remake you to become conformed to the image of Jesus. Then he comes back and he says, and this is how I'm going to do it. I have to call you because you wouldn't come to me. He called. I am the one who will make you right because you can't do it on your own and I'm going to do it through Jesus. He justified 
And then he says, and those that he justified, then comes this process of growth that we call sanctification. You someday will be glorified. Now, I don't know if you're with me here, but something I find interesting that maybe only pastor types like me find interesting is that when he says glorified, he puts it in the past tense. And, and none of us are perfect yet, right? Anybody, well, you can come up and show me that you're perfect someday. <laughs> I had a guy who told me once, I played basketball with him. He said, I don't sin anymore, but I saw him sin. I, I'll, anyway, I won't, that just popped into my head. Um, so we know we're not glorified yet, but here it, God is declaring in the past tense that those that he declares saved our words, his words justified. He can put it in, a, you are already glorified because when he says it, his commitment is so deep to you that it is as sure as if it had already happened. So I don't know if you're with me here, but this is exactly what he is saying to us, that he makes a commitment to us. And that commitment is this, that he won't finish his work in us. And the word that you can just count on here is that God is for us. God is for us. So that brings me to the basis of our confidence because I almost feel like the Apostle Paul was thinking about his church in Rome there. Maybe in his mind's eye he could think about us meeting here in Pasadena, California. He says, how can I make sure that people who go to church there and they still struggle with so many temptations and so many trials can really know that what I commit myself to I'm going to finish. And this is what he says, the basis for our commitment there in verse 31, God is for us. One of the things I love about uh, verses 31 to 39 is he has all these questions that, that he wants us to ask. And the one that he asks here is after he has said, I'm going to make this commitment to you. I'm going to make sure that you can know that you're going to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Then the question is this, what then shall we say in response to these things? In other words, how is he going to do that? I get up in the morning and I feel like I'm still struggling with the same things I was five years ago. How is he going to do that? And his, his one phrase is, the way he's going to do it is that God is for us. So today I want you to mark that down. Even though sometimes you wonder when you walk away from him, God always is there seeking after you. God is for you. And when he's for you, that means he is for you in the way that he wants to do the very best thing in your life. In what ways is God for us? And Paul then tells us the two main ways. How is God for us? It is the work of God through Jesus Christ for us. And then afterwards, the love of God, verses 35 to 39, the love of God in Christ Jesus for us. So let's look at this, verses 31 to 34. He wants to say, how is God for us? And this is the question that he asks. If God is for us, who could be against us? Now, I don't know if we have any attorneys or judges here. We had a whole bunch in the first service. Maybe they come earlier. I, I, I don't know. But, but attorneys will like this text and, and much of the Apostle Paul. He likes to talk about a courtroom scene. <laughs> the whole first three chapters are that way. He brings us back into the courtroom scene. And if you've ever had to go to court or be on jury or, or be the one on trial there, you can just picture what happens. He has God as the judge. And, God, and, and the judge makes the decision. He has Jesus as the defense attorney in this thing. 
And then he has anybody else, including the devil, who can come and bring a case against us, as witnesses against us. And this is what he says. With that in mind, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, the judge, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Uh, who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? Because it's God who justifies. Who is then the one who condemns? No one. Jesus Christ who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God. And he is also interceding for us. Do you see the case that he's making? Okay, the judge that we have to stand before to decide if our lives are right with God and that we have eternal life with God is God himself. He says, listen to me, you need to know this. God has already made his verdict about you. <laughs> Even before you go to court, he's already made his verdict about you. He has said yes to you because you are in Christ. That's what he says. And if you wonder, well, will he continue to do so? He says, listen, if God was willing to spare his own son out of his love for you so that he could forgive you of your sins, how much more can you believe that whatever you need for him to keep this commitment to make you complete in Christ is going to be given to you? Then he tries to picture, okay, what if you're there in the court and all these people come up and they bring testimony against you? What if your spouse, what if your children... What if your person at work says, that person got on my nerves the whole time. I'm going to tell you about all their sins and all their... What if the devil says, how can you pretend that that is your child innocent before you? I've, I'll tell you about their sins like the book of Job. What he says is, no, no, no. Uh, God himself has already declared you right. And, and Jesus is there as your defense attorney. And what the defense attorney essentially says is this, we know that the punishment for sin, the wages of sin is death. But I am here to tell you that I am the one who bore that punishment. The death has been paid for. Are you with me here? This is good news. The death has been paid for. That person is in me. That person is free from the punishment of sin and death. It, it is a powerful message that he gives us. In, in other words, when you read verses 31 to 34, this is one of those legal cases that is um, a fait accompli case. It's, it's already been determined because God is the one who sent his son to pay the price for our sins and he simply says, I will see you in Christ. And what he has done is sufficient for you until I finish my work in you too. So how can you be confident that as you continue to see God working in you that, that God won't give up on you? It's because he is for you and it's shown in the work of Jesus. But that's not all. The other way that God is for you is in his love for you, his unrelenting love for you. And in verse 35, here is the question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Because knowing that, that Jesus is sort of your defense attorney is a good thing, and knowing that he has said that you're free from the punishment for your sin, that's good. But there's something even better. And that better thing is Jesus is the one who loves you himself. He loves you so much he was willing to die for you. 
And he was the one who was great enough to defeat death so that what he holds on to, nothing can ever take away from him. I don't know if there is a more moving passage for me personally in all of the Bible than verses 35 to 39. I've been agonizing about preaching it to you because I don't think I can preach it as well as I just see it when I read it. But may I read it to you again? The Apostle Paul tries to picture anything you might imagine that would separate you from the love of God. And he says, and I'll leave out the psalm that he quotes mostly for his Jewish people in, in verse 36, and, but this is what he says. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tries to picture everything. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, no in all these things, we, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, and here he goes at it again, that neither death nor life, angels or demons, neither the present or the future are any past, uh, powers, neither height or depth. And if you think, but I can still think of some other things that might separate me from the love of God. Do you see? He said, I'm not going to leave anything else, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate you from the love of God that comes to you in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see what he is declaring to you? The reason you can come to church today, even if you look back over this past week and can see all sorts of areas of your life that make, maybe make you wonder whether God is at work, the reason you can know is not because you have to earn the love of God and you can say to him, oh, but I've worked so hard to be good. Because we'll never be able to work hard enough to be good enough. All of you perfectionists, you're listening to me right now, right? So many times we've just lived our lives that way. I've got to work hard to please my parents or my teacher, and that's the only way I can learn their respect and love. It's not that way with God. Nor is it my performance in whatever you are called to do. Because sometimes we think the way we really earn respect is to perform well enough that people will think, well, well he or she's good. It's not that at all. The only reason we have this is that our confidence that God will keep his commitment rests in God's eternal purpose for you, his eternal love for you. It's not my fragile and wavering love for him. It is his unwavering, unrelenting, unshakable love for me shown by Jesus Christ and declared to me in his word. In fact, what he says in verse 37 is, for us, all those things that almost would make us give up and wonder if God still loves us, all those things, when we're in Christ Jesus our Lord, we will find at the end of the day we're more than conquerors. Did you notice that verse 37? It's a very interesting word in Greek, hooper uh, nikao, hooper, uber. It's like over conquerors, uh, super conquerors. In other words, when trials or temptations come, it, it's not just that somehow we make it through, but it's more than that. We find out that what's, what God says in verse 28 is so true that God was at work in all those things, not just to get us through it, but to build us up and to bring about that good that sometimes the hardest things that happen in our lives he uses in the most powerful ways to make us more and more and more like Jesus. Let's try to put it together here. Mm, Romans 5 through 8. 
As Romans chapter 8 began, declaring to you and me that there is no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ Jesus, do you see how Romans chapter 8 ends? That there's no separation from the love of God for anyone in Christ Jesus. Romans 5, where we started, it came by declaring to you and me that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Romans chapter 8 ends with something even more profound. We have the love of God that cannot be taken away from us that comes in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What it says to me and what I want to say to you is this. To be a follower of Jesus, what you are, is you are a person who is eternally loved by the eternal God. You are eternally loved by our eternal God. Do you believe that? When you know that you're loved, have you ever experienced how that sort of energizes everything else about you? When you, you feel like I don't have to earn it, but you can just rest in it. Have you ever noticed how that energizes everything about life? I, I've done so many weddings uh, in my life as a pastor. Sometimes I'll see the young couple, you know, in, in the full flush of their love for one another. It, even more than our dancers today, it was like they were floating down the aisle. I just how, how they have. And they come up and with such no qualms, no questions, pledge their undying love to one another. I pledge you it for better, for worse. They have no idea how bad that worse is going to be. <laughs> But, but just that love for one another just changes everything. I'll tell you, as, as life goes on, we human beings are human and sometimes, sometimes we falter in that love for one another. God does not. I, I just knew, I know that if I can deliver the message that God gives to us in his word to you today in a way that it goes deep into your mind and to your heart, it will change every moment of your life that you don't have to question your standing before him. You don't have to question that he will give up on you. You are eternally loved by a God who loves you relentlessly, unshakably, and will never quit loving you. So here is the commitment that God makes, Romans 5 through 8, if you follow Jesus. In Jesus, I will declare you right with me, innocent before me, at peace with me. In Jesus, I will begin a work in you to give you my Holy Spirit and to make you a part of my family. And in the midst of all of this, I make a commitment to you that what I have started, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, I will bring to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And I pray that you will always know that until I am done with you, you can rest in the fact that I love you with an everlasting love. That's God's commitment to you. Again, I ask, do you believe it? What, what I see in the Bible is this, that when we realize that different from other religions, we don't earn our way to God but it's grace, we don't earn it, it's a gift given to us, that God makes a commitment to us, we still have this privilege of responding to his gift of grace. 
God makes a commitment. He gives us the privilege when, when we rest in his love of saying, Lord, how would you have me to live? So that when you get to Romans chapter 12, he takes this very thing up again. He says, in view of this love, in view of this mercy, here's the response that you might have. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God. Offer your body, offer your mind. So brothers and sisters, I have just been praying so much about this after we've gone through four chapters of the book of Romans for four, so many months. How would God have us to respond to this kind of commitment to us? And I've gone through chapter after chapter and, and I've written down some commitments that I want to walk you to walk through with me. I've called them my Romans five through eight commitments. We'll put the commitments as I've written them down and I, and I am making afresh uh, for you to look at and I'm gonna let you see them and then I'm gonna have a prayer in case you want to join me in making this commitment today as we gather here at the end of this series. Of course, I, I first picked up Romans chapter five. It starts with talking about all the blessings that God gives us. And the one that I especially highlighted was chapter five, verse eight. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So I know it starts there. So the commitment that I wrote down that I wanted to make is no longer to live for myself. He died for me, but for Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, Paul's response is, so I'm crucified with Christ, so I'm going to live, but it's really not I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. I wanted to make that commitment too. If you would like to, I'm gonna put the prayer here and see if you might want to pray this with me. Look at it, consider it for just a few seconds. And if you would like to make that commitment with me, pray with me. Lord, help me remember that you loved me while I was a sinner and that you love me still. I will not forget your great blessings lavished on me only because of your grace. I moved on to chapter six. That one where they were still thinking, I, I've got to do it myself. I, I, I've got to, to show God how hard I'm working. And he, he wanted to set us free from trying to earn God's love through the law or living lives for him. He says, count yourself dead, both to the law and to sin. And I began thinking, and the verse I picked out was in verse 11. So count yourself dead to sin and count yourself alive to God in Christ Jesus. To me, that is a change of lordship. And so I wrote this down. A commitment, Lord, to surrender my thoughts, my desires, and decisions to the lordship of Jesus. And if you'd want to join me in that commitment, I'll put the prayer up here that I want you to consider praying with me. Look at it for just a moment. And here's the prayer, if you will pray. Lord Jesus, I will be your servant under your command. I will no longer be my own. I surrender all to you. In all things, I pray, your will, not mine. I moved on to chapter seven. 
The transparency of Paul has always moved me a great deal. The great Apostle Paul, who so openly would confess, I'm not yet what God would have me to be. I'm still wrestling with these things. I thought about that, but in the midst of that, knowing that when we try to hide stuff and won't acknowledge to God that it's there, the light doesn't break in. Uh, But at the same time, not wallowing in what is there. But in the midst of all of that, still saying, no, 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 God hasn't given up. Thanks be to God uh, who saves me through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I put together um, so these two verses. I do not do the good I want to do, Paul said, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. But then this part, thanks be to God who delivers me through our Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I made this twofold commitment, both to acknowledge my sins and at the same time to rejoice in God's salvation. And if you would like to pray this prayer that I think is in keeping with that commitment, look at it just a moment. And then pray this with me. Lord, I will no longer hide from you those things in me that are not right with you. With your help, I will learn to rely upon your promise that I am saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Then I came to chapter 8, where the change actually, we begin to see how it happens. Uh, where he talks about it's the work of the Holy Spirit. And that key verse is there in verse 5. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit uh, desires. And I thought about this fact that in Romans 12, we begin to see that the transformation of the mind, the setting of our mind on the things of God is often the beginning point of actual change. And uh, so I made this commitment, Lord, to set my mind on what God's spirit desires. With this prayer, look at it with me. If you want to pray this commitment with me, then, then pray. Lord, I vow to set aside some time each day to spend alone before you. I will seek to learn from your word what your spirit desires and then to set my mind on those things rather than my own desires. Then I came to the great text where God makes his commitment to us. Uh, And the commitment as I put it, is to live with the certain hope because of God's commitment, the certain hope, both in good times and bad, no matter what all things God brings, that God is making everything new, that he's using it all to make everything new. And drawing together these two verses, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. And then in verse 39, nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is the prayer that I put together. Look at it and consider praying this with me. It's quite a commitment. If you will, pray. 
Lord, I put myself fully into your hands. I will go where you would have me go. Speak what you would have me speak and do what you would have me do. Do all that you will in me until you have conformed me to the image of my Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. I put all of those commitments on a, on a bookmark that right now I would like to have our pastors and prayer counselors come to the front and some up in the balcony as well for those of you who are sitting in the balcony today. I'd like to have us all have the opportunity to have a very tangible way and more formal way of making these commitments. And if you would, as the music is being sung today, and if you would like to say, yes, I want to make those commitments, and especially if you have some specific commitments about the life that you would have God, that God would have you to live, or decisions God would have you to make, you could come meet with any one of us. We're going to pray a very simple and brief blessing over you that God would give you through the presence of his Holy Spirit the power to keep these commitments and the certainty that until they are kept and you are remade that you will always know that nothing is going to separate you from the love of God that has come in Christ Jesus. So I'd like to have you stand. Music is going to be playing. If you would like to make some of these commitments to the Lord in this formal way and receive one of these, just step out from wherever you come. Come forward and we'll stay until, um, until we're done. So come as we sing together.